0: Well, without fail, there will come a time in every preacher's life when he will stand up on a Sunday morning, or like I am today, or even wake up on a Monday morning and realize that he regrets the sermon he preached the week before. For me, this regret did not come on Monday morning of last week. It came as I walked down the stairs after every service last Sunday. Now, I know what you're thinking. If... You thought like everything was fine? Bless your heart. I am so thankful for people like you. Uh, But even I did not communicate it clearly enough. That must have been the work of the Holy Spirit, taking the words that I butchered and putting them together so you can consume them. So here's what I would like to do, as long as you're willing to sit there, and I don't think anyone's going to leave. I hope not. Uh, I would like to redeem last week's sermon by preaching it again, somewhat somewhat. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to preach the same thing and just scream more. That's not the goal. Um, but I want to I reorganize the way I communicated that and then also preach the sermon I plan to preach today, but only a little bit of it, okay? Because uh, I know it's sunny, but we won't be here all day. So um, that, that's what I would like to do. I would like to preach about the fruits of the Spirit again and then go into um, the verses that Adam read to us about restoring one another and walking And the Spirit. So that's what I'm going to do today. Now, let me begin with clarity. Okay? Being clear is always really good, and it's something I struggle with. I wanted to preach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit because I want us to understand as a church why evidence of spiritual fruit is so important among us. Why it's so important for church, um, yes, you individually, but us together as a people to produce this spiritual fruit. And second, There are many, many verses, whole letters in your New Testament. In fact, entire books written to expose the destructive influence of sin within a church. And these these verses about sin, when Paul specifically, a New Testament author, talks about sin to a church and tells them how to overcome it, tells them to walk away from it, tells them to walk in step with the Spirit, things like that. All of these verses, all these books have one main theme, and this is the theme that I attempted to communicate last week, but I, I just did a horrible job at it, and this is the theme, that Jesus cares about the purity of his church. So Jesus himself cares about the church that he has bled and died for. Jesus cares about the people that he died for, and we are those people, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you trust and believe in him for your salvation, you are a part of the body of Christ. You're a church. You're a Christian. You've taken from your old self, you've been given a new nature, and you're God's people. So, it's important for us to understand what our lives should be producing. It's also important for us to understand that Jesus cares deeply about how pure his church is. Now, last week, we read Paul's instructions to us about the works of the flesh, which is sin, we've covered that, and the fruits of the Spirit, which is the new life in Christ. And these were the verses. Galatians chapter 9 Sorry, 5, chapter 5. I better be careful before I confuse everybody again. There is no chapter 9, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such thing will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those were the verses that we covered last week. Um, And we're going to cover them a little bit this morning, but not specifically. Also in his letter that Paul wrote, so an apostle named Paul, a church planter, pastor, leader in the New Testament church, wrote this to the church in Galatia. This is what he tells them. These works of the flesh are evident, but have nothing to do with them any longer. You are in a total new life, a total new people, a total new faith, a total new belief system, and therefore your life should be producing these fruits, not the works of the flesh, These fruits. He also wrote another letter to the church in Colossae. It's the Colossian Christians. He tells them this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Same language as crucifying the flesh to the Galatians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What is earthly in us? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. I get to stutter on that one because everyone stutters on that one. Which is idolatry, verse 6. Because on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked. And we say amen to that, right, church? This is who we all were before the grace of God has saved us. You're not cool enough to earn it, so don't tell people you did. And these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. You must get rid of them. What should we put away? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Throughout the New Testament, Paul addresses sin, the sinful nature. How to approach it, how to deal with it, how to run away from it, how to repent of it, which is to turn from it, what its effects are, and why the church must, must purify themselves from it. Now, the obvious must be admitted among us. Christians struggle with sin. Christians are not people who would never ever struggle with the works of the flesh ever again. So let me encourage you, if you desire to know God, if you, if you say I'm a Christian, if you desire to know God, if you desire to know the truth of his word, if you desire to worship God rightly, if you desire to follow Jesus Christ, but you struggle with sin, you are in the right place among the right people. Okay, I cannot say that enough. You are in the right place among the right people. Paul himself, the guy who wrote these verses, he, I mean, arguably Paul is our best example after Jesus Christ of living the Christian life. He writes this to the church in Rome about himself, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do everything that I hate. Paul understood the tension in his life, and I think we all are there with him. I don't even understand my own actions half of the week. I do not do what I want to do, and then I also do the thing that I hate. Paul's admission of struggle, Paul's admission of his struggle with his sin is because of the flesh. That's what the Bible tells us, that although we've been saved, it's the already but not yet type of life that we're living. We've already been saved. We're in the heavenly places with Christ. We've been given a new heart and a new mind, but we are still here, in the flesh And what was cursed, when Adam and Eve fell in rebellion towards God way back in the beginning of your Bible, the curse was flesh. Uh, <laughs> the flesh was cursed. Paul knows that his struggle resides in his flesh. First John chapter two, verses 16 and 17 says this: "For all that is in the world, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father. that's God the Father, but is from the world." And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And the will of God there, I would believe would point back to what Jesus says, to, to do the will of God is to believe upon Jesus Christ. That is God's will for your life, is to believe upon Jesus Christ. Now, when I attempted to communicate all this last week, I failed. But what I wanted to do was tell us that as a church, we must commit ourselves to producing the fruits of the Spirit, walking away from the works of the flesh, because these two categories are not the same. And also, here's another level to that statement. They're not compatible. You know, you don't take a rotten steak and rub enough salt and garlic on it to make it taste good. It's not going to work. It's poisoned. It's rotten. It doesn't work like that. You can't take the faith of your walk with Christ and the works of the flesh that you still enjoy and somehow rub them together enough to make it you know, palatable to the taste. It doesn't work. They're not compatible. They do not go together. And so the illustration then from last week still stands. Apple trees do not produce oranges. The Christian life does not, should not produce the works of the flesh. And this is to say, a professing Christian is only one is one if they do not love the works of the flesh more than the fruit of the Spirit. Will we struggle? Yes. Will we hate our sin? Yes. Instead, a genuine Christian cares about the purity of their life and therefore the purity of the church they belong to, and they care about the bride of Christ, the people whom Jesus died for. We are a new race last week. We are a new chosen holy people, and we are encouraged to put off the old self, encouraged. We're commanded... To put off the old self and put on the new self, which comes with Christ. We're to put off the old works of the flesh that once held us in bondage. And many of us would say yes and amen to that. I was actually enslaved to my sin. I would walk in sin, realize it's destroying my life, and then do it again. And then do it again. We were in bondage. But the Spirit of Christ has set us free from that. You know, when Jesus died on the cross and, they, and then he was buried, when he resurrected, he didn't resurrect himself with all the, the sins with him. He didn't bring all that back. All the sins of the world were crucified with Christ. All your enmity and strife and division and all that was done with. When he resurrected, he didn't bring those back with him. So for the Christian, we are free from walking in those things. That's why oftentimes we're encouraged as Christians to remember who we are not necessarily work harder. Because when you remember who you are in Christ, you can flee from sin that much more. We put off the old and we put on the new. Now, before you give me credit for the apple trees not producing oranges, it's, um, it's just in the Bible. This is James chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? That's a question. Well, no, it doesn't. Can a fig My brothers bear olives? Can a fig tree bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. A Christian does not revel in the works of the flesh because they have been transformed from darkness into God's marvelous light. There are only two positions in this life that every single human will fall into and has fallen into has aligned themselves with. Positionally, you are either in Adam or in Jesus. That is it. In light or in darkness. In Adam is to say, in sin. And we know sin leads to death. In Jesus Christ is to say, in righteousness, which leads to life. We read Paul's words again from Romans chapter five. Therefore, as one One trespass, Adam's sin, just as one man's sin led led to condemnation for all people. We inherited the curse of sin, therefore we stand condemned before a holy God for our sinfulness. So one act of righteousness, the, the obedience of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, leads to justification, leads to the salvation for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's where everyone falls into. You are either in sin or you are in Christ. You are either a sinner, divinely condemned before God. He gets to do it. He's just. He holds the standard. God is not wrong for judging sin. In fact, he's God. That's why he gets to do it. Or you are a saint, divinely forgiven and no longer condemned before a holy God, and that's the Christian's life. That's why the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of God because we have been saved. He no longer sees our sin. He has forgiven us and cleansed us of the works of the flesh. Now, if we move from the personal aspect of this to corporately sort of a church as a body, the church is called to know who is in Adam and who is in Christ. That's important for us to know. If Jesus cares about the purity of his church, then so should we. And if we're going to do that, we need to know who is in Christ and who is in Adam. Not because that those who are still in their sin aren't welcome, not at all, not by any means. Bring everyone you know. But the church is the body of Christ and they need to know who they are. That's when we started talking about the topic of church membership that we are now ready for after three years of being a church. This is what church membership does. It pretty much defines who is a Christian and affirms their status in Christ. That's pretty much all membership does, is help us understand who's a Christian. Now, there is a tension. How does a Christian handle the tension between wanting to produce godly fruit and then dealing with the temptation which leads to works in the flesh? I am guilty, and so are you. I want to do what I want to do, as Paul would say, but I Man, I fail so many times. Not only do I not fail of doing the right thing, I do the wrong thing. (laughs) I do that thing that I hate that I swore I would never do again. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Church, we have been saved, but we are still awaiting our perfection. We have been cleansed of the guilt of our sin. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ has done. But we are not free from the temptation of sin because we have not been freed from our cursed flesh. This leads to another thought. Paul says that those who do the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. To be honest, we do find ourselves desiring to or actually committing the works of the flesh. So as Christians, should should this make us feel as though our salvation and our eternal security in our faith should that make us feel like that's in jeopardy if we fall into sin? If we do the very thing that Paul tells us not to do, does that mean the Christian is either, you know, one day they're in, then one day they're out, and the next day they're in again, and the next day they're out, depending on how they act? No. No. Some uh, denominations, some people in Christendom and Christianity actually teach that. They believe the Bible teaches that. That's completely false. That's just telling you to work harder. So when you're clean one day, you're good. But if you're dirty the next, you're out. That's not gospel. That's not good news at all. That's just good advice. Jesus says in John chapter six, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. I will never cast out. Church, if you didn't earn your salvation, you can't lose it. You've been giving something you haven't earned, so don't think that you are all of a sudden powerful enough to convince God that you should be able to lose it. It doesn't work like that, and that should be very encouraging to us. Even when you fall into sin, God is faithful. God is good. God is true. God honors his word. All who the Father brings to Jesus will never be cast out. So this is the encouragement that we must remember when we have fallen into sin, Christians should remember that life is not necessarily about the destination you need to arrive at, but it's about the direction your life is pointed. Many of us feel condemned when we sin, and then our world crumbles because we actually think that we're supposed to produce this perfect destination. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think the Bible says just keep your life pointed in the right direction, which is towards Christ. It's about the destination. We often say at our church that as you walk with Christ, it's, it's one day at a time. Less than that, it's one step at a time. But Less than that, it's one second at a time. It's a half step in front of the other. It's little by little. But if you're pointing in the right direction, I don't care how slow you walk. If you're pointed in the right direction. Too often, Christians are discouraged because they do, uh, they do not arrive at some higher level of spirituality where they'll never struggle with sin again. That's wrong. That doesn't work. Do not focus on the destination, focus on the direction of your life. Is the direction of your life pointed away from the works of the flesh and pointed towards Jesus Christ and his word? Or is your life pointed towards and consumed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Which do you love more? The Bible is clear. Christians will produce the fruit of the Spirit. And now we need to talk about the truth of becoming a Christian. Again, I wanted to highlight the fruits of the Spirit because I believe the Bible is clear that those who are Christians will produce this fruit. It will happen eventually, little by little. Some of our fruit is so ripe it's fallen off and some of us can barely spot the bud. We're in all different areas, aren't we? We're in all different stages of this. But it's there. It will be there. Those who are Christians will produce the fruits of the Spirit. And this is a topic I never want us to be tired of talking about because the nature of our culture, the environment in which we live, the environment in which our church exists today, lead many to believe that you can be in Christ and still love the works of your flesh. They're not compatible. Is your life producing the fruit of the Spirit? which only the Spirit can produce? Are you training for a godly life, like last week we talked about, as a runner trains for a race? Christians will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe not consistently, but eventually. But eventually. Now, if you are pointed in the right direction, there will be some evidence of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. And some of you... Uh, who, so, um, the people who know you best might go, well, I think there's a half of a joy in there, but I see nothing else in your life. All right, well, we got a starting point. We can start with that. Let's just praise God for that. Amen? We got to praise God for the small areas that he's been working in our life. But here's the key, church. Only those who have been born again can produce the fruit of the Spirit. Something I wish I talked about more last week. In fact, it was in my notes, and I totally missed it. Jesus cares about the purity of the church. We must see fruit produced among ourselves. We must walk away from the works of the flesh. But here's the key. Only those who are born again can produce spiritual fruit. John chapter 3 says, Anyone who is to become a Christian must be born again, which means they must undergo a new birth, a birth not of the flesh and blood, but of water and of spirit. These are the words of Jesus in John chapter 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Something miraculous has to happen in your life to inherit the kingdom of God. And it has nothing to do with your flesh. It has everything to do with water and with spirit. Now, born of water, this references most likely the act of baptism. The act a Christian is to undergo when they repent and believe in Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. To be baptized is to identify with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Now this is applicable today because we continue to teach on who is to become a member of the church and it's clear in the New Testament that those who belong to Christ have been baptized. The church knows who belong to Christ because they have been Baptized. Jesus arrived on the scene. People believed in him, and they were baptized. In fact, when the church took off in one day, the New Testament leaders recorded 3,000 of these so baptisms. I mean, water was splashing everywhere. No one was dry. And they were happy about it. To not be baptized is to directly disobey Jesus Christ. And listen, the church belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to us. We're not going to redefine this. All Christians are commanded to be baptized. Now, again, in a few, we're going to be done with baptism because we're working on the Spirit. In a few months, we're going to have another baptism service. And if you're interested, stay tuned because we'd love to get you there. It's one of the highlights of our year. And then Jesus says you need to be born of the Spirit. This references the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Now, everyone can verify they've been born of the flesh. There you are. You're here. You've been born. This is evident because of, your, because of your existence, but a Christian is made new when they have been born of the Spirit. So now we connect the act of salvation with the fruits of the Spirit. and church, only people, the only people who can produce the fruits of the Spirit are those who have been born, you've guessed it, of the Spirit. Because the fruits of the Spirit are the evidence that someone has been born of the Spirit. And listen, the act of salvation is by grace alone, Salvation is never something, is always something you receive, it's never something you earn. Maybe this very thing that I just said, maybe the very words of Jesus that says you must be born again, right now causes you to wonder, well, I don't know if I am born again. I don't know if I have been born of the Spirit, because my life is pretty much defined by my flesh. It's pretty much defined by the works of the flesh. If I look at the category of things that Paul says not to do, that consumes pretty much my every day. I want you to consider your foundation once again. Ask yourself, if you hear, now here's what I want to do now is just give you some things to consider. If you're right now, I don't want to, I don't want to, I moved pretty quickly through that. I don't want to move too fast. If you're considering, well, all the things I'm told not to do, I do. And not only do I do, I kind of love it. And not only do I love it, I'm not willing to stop because I love it that much. And I'm confused all the time because I actually hate it, but then I wake up the next day and I love it. And love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, I, I don't know. Even if I ask those who are closest to me, I don't think they would recognize them, those in my life. If that is you, and you have once thought or considered yourself a Christian, I want to just give you a series of scriptures for you to think on not because I'm standing in judgment over you, because I deeply care for your soul. Deeply. And the people in this church deeply care for your soul. We've said this multiple times. We never want to invite people into this church and teach them about of Jesus. They will never get to know. That's not our aim and that's not our goal. Ask yourself now, if you hear the voice of the Lord, Jesus says that he is the great shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. Now, don't try to listen really intently. That's not what it means, okay? Oh, there's, there's a funny joke. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear him speak really loudly in your life, read it out loud, okay? I'm not asking you to listen for the voice of Jesus. If you want to hear God speak, just read your Bible out loud and scream it. God will be screaming at you. It's fantastic, Okay? Jesus says he is the great shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. So when the Bible speaks, we hear and we receive and we follow. That's what it means. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. John chapter 10. Ask yourself if you love his words, if you love the word of God. Jesus says, uh, not Jesus, 1 John says again, whoever says I know him, whoever says I know God, I know God. I'm a Christian but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, in Christ. By this we may know that we're not in Adam any longer. We've been transferred into a new kingdom. And here it is. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. The life reflects the new spirit. Ask yourself if you love his people, the church. I know, I'm asking you to love a wide variety and diverse group of people, and all of us bring something different to the table, and it's not always great. Just another evidence that the gospel is the only unifying factor in our entire globe for anyone everywhere. The gospel is the only thing that will unify a diverse group of people. It's the only thing that's going to work. Ask yourself if you love God's people. Beloved, 1 John chapter four, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God. There's that language again. Whoever loves has been born of the spirit of God and whoever loves has been born of God and what knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You may have heard this phrase before. "I, I love Jesus, I just don't love his people your heart should break for that person, not judge them. Because you can't have God as your father if the church is not your mother. It's the same. Ask yourself, here's the last one, if you hate sin. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Don't ask yourself if you never sin. You'll always feel really bad about that answer.